This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 133 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have the first part of the second branch of the Mabinogi, the stories of Welsh mythology. This is the blow to Branwen. But first, I want to give a very big welcome to any new and returning listeners. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Hit me up at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not over on Instagram. And please, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by joining the intimate community over on Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more than you than that if you want you can gain access to bonus material not just for fireside but for all of the podcasts on the head stuff podcast network we've got a brand new episode on the poetry of wb yates the mythic poetry of yates over on head stuff plus exclusively for members if you want to support over there but no hard sell on that it's a very special episode folks 133 is a very special number to me because that is the bus that goes from Wicklow town my hometown to Dublin and back and I've probably spent more hours on that bus than I have in most apartments that I have rented so this will hopefully be a good one I'm excited for it um I must apologize again this episode is a couple of days late I'm still over in Australia I have a unfortunately through the last couple of weeks, uh, COVID were not nearly out of the woods, and unfortunately, the the tour of Australia that I'm on with World of Musicals has been pulled, and I'll be heading home to Ireland four months sooner than anticipated. So the last few weeks has been a a real storm of a huge amount of elements totally beyond any of our controls. Our Victoria leg was postponed to November when there was an outbreak there. Then there has been cases here in South Australia where we are at the moment. And it was just looking like it was going to get worse and worse and more and more borders were being closed to all the other states. So the powers that be just decided to pull the door, which is truly heartbreaking. Uh, I'm, I'm devastated to have not got to explore the rest of this great country again and to see New Zealand for the first time. But the whole tour has been postponed to next year where hopefully it'll be a much brighter covid free world at long last uh, lord knows we all deserve it um but that is that is where my head has been at for the past couple of months it has been a very difficult since i left ireland but we fought the good fight we fought it every step of the way did everything that we could i've had a great time here still don't regret coming don't regret anything it was great to even 
feel like I was getting back to work and getting to do what I do. But it was not to be this time, and understandably that has taken its its toll on me now, but the positive side of that is I get to get back home to Ireland now, and that I can put my full heart and soul into Fireside again and get my focus back on that and on my other writing projects and everything. But that's not to dampen anything before the story, uh, but that just to explain is why the last couple of episodes have been a bit late. Um you know that I am have been very good with my regimented schedule of getting an episode out to you every Wednesday for the past two and a half years, those that have been with us for a long time. So you know it is not like me to have, have episodes late, and it won't be that case anymore. But that is just to explain to you, dear listeners, before we kick off uh, what has been going on. So I'm very much looking forward to this story now to hopefully brighten up a bit of your day and certainly brighten up my own because this of course is what I love to do I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't love writing and researching and recording this podcast and I'm looking forward to recording episode 133 now and to tell you this story because the story for this day is the second branch of the Mabinogion of Welsh mythology and it is most noteworthy noteworthy i think which i mentioned briefly at the beginning at the end of the last episode because this is a story about the marriage between a welsh princess and an irish king we have the nations of ireland and wales coming head to head and coming together already in welsh mythology which really is exciting for me because it really feels that it justifies doing the mabinogion on fireside taking another celtic nations culture and mythology and adapting it in my own voice it has justified that as far as i'm concerned anyway and like i said i've given a call out to all of you to let me know what you've thought and it has been incredible incredibly positive feedback coming back so i appreciate all that and keep it coming and keep any critique coming if you if you don't like it as well of course it's all welcome so we'll chat a bit more afterwards but this is the story of the blow to branwen on fireside The Blow to Branwen. Bendigade Vran, son of Clear, was the crowned king of the island of the mighty. He was of such a colossal size that no house, fort, or castle in Wales had ever been able to contain him. Whenever he would feast or sleep, it would be beneath the stars or, weather permitting, beneath a patchwork of colossal canvas tents. One day, the king of the island was gazing out across the Irish Sea to the west. He stood with his brother on his father's side, Manadawan, son of Clear, and his brothers on his mother's side, Nishian and Ephnishan, two noblemen of very differing temperaments. It seemed that Nishian was bound to unite and aid the crown of Wales in any way possible, whereas Ephnishan just wanted to watch the world burn. The four brothers stood on the shore and watched as thirteen enormous ships came into view, sailing from the south of the island of Ireland. And while this is a Welsh tale, you will forgive your humble storyteller for saying, Come on, Ireland. The thirteen ships had sails of silk and were of a finer craft than Bendigade Vran had ever seen. 
but the king did not like the swift manner with which the ships were approaching the Welsh coast. It seemed that they were approaching for war. So the king asked his brother, Manadawan, to meet the Irish at the coast and find out their intentions. Manadawan reached the coast as the first ship was docking. At the front of the ship he saw a shield raised high in a position denoting a sign of peace. The king's brother asked the first man ashore, Whose ships are these, and what are your intentions here on the island of the mighty? The messenger replied, These are the ships of Matholoc, the king of Ireland, and he wishes to unite your two families, lord. He proposes to marry your sister Branwen, son of Clear, to build and consolidate the powers of the Celtic nations of Ireland and Wales. Manadawan took this news back to the king. Branwen was one of the three chief maidens of the island, and it was deemed by all who met her that she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Ireland was a powerful nation, and Matholoc a well-respected king. It was a good match, and would unite two great nations against any further potential invasions and Ireland in particular was no stranger to invasion. After discussing the matter with his sister, it was decided that Branwen would marry the King of Ireland. A great feast was held at Aberra, beneath a great canvas tent, and there was the usual manner of feasting, drinking, and carousing into the early hours. And when the revelry was ended, Branwen and Matholoc went to bed, and she became his wife. The next morning, the troublesome Ethnician, who had not been at the feast the night before, found his way into the stables at Abafra. He asked a stable boy, Boy, whose horses are these? They belong to Matholoc, the King of Ireland, who was married to your sister Branwen last night. Ethnician was outraged. My own sister, and the daughter of the former king of this nation, has been married to a peasant paddy king, and my permission was not even asked. What Ethnician did next was more deplorable than early scenes of the Godfather. He mutilated and maimed every single one of the horses of the king of Ireland cutting off their tails and their ears, and even cutting off their eyelids as close to the bone as possible until every single horse was left alive, but utterly useless. When the King of Ireland was told of what had become of his prized horses, he was angered, devastated, but ultimately confused. Why has this been done to me? he asked his counsellors. Why was I brought here and married to the most beautiful woman in the world, only to be betrayed in such a disgusting way? Whatever the case, Lord, replied one of the king's counsellors, you must leave Wales immediately and return to your ships before you are insulted again, or worse. Matholoc and his entire retinue of Irish lords returned to their ships before Bendigade Vran found out what had happened. First, he thought Matholoc had insulted him. Then it appeared he had insulted Matholoc. 
Despite the fact that the King of Wales had no part in or knowledge of the mutilation of the horses of the King of Ireland, the fact remained that the horses were mutilated, and it had been while under Bendigaidvran's care. The King of the Island of the Mighty was determined to make things right with his new brother-in-law, for his sister's sake, and indeed, for the sake of the two nations. Another feast was prepared with the promise of the replacing of each and every one of the mutilated horses with steeds of equal or greater value. A compensation of silver and gold was also included, and Matholoc grudgingly accepted the terms, but he still felt uneasy about the whole affair. Matholoc was a king known for his incredible conversation. He was intelligent and wise, but not above a good laugh, and he always made those who he was talking to feel like they were the intelligent one. But at this feast, he was dour and quiet, and Bendigade Vran became concerned that the Irish king was not satisfied with the terms of the payback. So the Welsh king decided to sweeten the deal further. Matholoc, usually you are incredible conversation, but today you seem quiet and unsatisfied. So let me improve further on our arrangement. I will give to you a great cauldron. Any body that has died this day that you cook in the cauldron that night will arise the next day alive and well. Although they will no longer be able to speak. Matholoc's face lit up. Lord, I am incredibly satisfied with this. I have heard tell of this cauldron. How did it come into your possession? I'm not surprised you have heard of it, for it comes from your land, and when it came into my possession, I said I would only relinquish it to another Irishman. It was brought to me by Klasa Chles Gahunawid, and his wife, Kemede Kamenfall. They escaped from the Iron House in Ireland when it was made white-hot around them. They fled from your country and took refuge in mine. The King of Ireland said, Lord, I know of these of whom you speak. I was out hunting one day in Ireland by a lake known as the Lake of the Cauldron. Emerging from the lake, I saw the man of whom you spoke, although I would say he was more of a monster. He was colossal in size and ugly as a jagged rock. He carried that same cauldron on his back. Following him was his wife, and if the male was big, the woman was at least twice the size. They approached me and asked, How are you today? I talked with them and found them bizarrely and absolutely charming. The woman told me she was pregnant with a child who would be a born warrior, and they asked me to take them into my care, which I gladly did, and for an entire year they stayed with me in Dublin. But it was in the second year my counsellors and lords and people began to become increasingly dissatisfied with the amount of food and drink and fuel required to sustain our gargantuan guests. By the fourth month of the second year, my lords gave me an ultimatum. It was either lose the giants or lose my kingdom. I chose my kingdom, but I demanded that it would be my lords who would take care of the giants. 
A house of iron was built for the massive couple. Once they were inside, every blacksmith in Ireland took their bellows and hammers and tongs and began sealing up the iron home. And then they began to heat the house until it was red hot and then it was white hot. But my guess is that the giant inside knew his way around a forge because once the keep was white hot, he burst through the wall, shattering it into a thousand jagged edges. He fled Dublin and dove into the Irish Sea. I never knew what happened to them. I suppose it's no surprise they ended up here. This was the story told by Matholoc to Bendigade Vran. The Welsh king replied, They did indeed, and still prosper throughout this land. They build weapons and armour throughout the kingdoms. The feast and good conversation continued into the early hours, and the next morning Matholoc took his new bride Branwen to her new home in Ireland. Branwen was instantly beloved by the Irish people. Every man of noble birth and noble woman was given token gifts of jewels and riches by their new queen. She had beauty and a compassionate but firm temperament that was just what the Emerald Isle needed. And after a year, Branwen gave birth to a son, Gwern, son of Matholoc. But after the birth of the heir to Ireland, murmurs of dissatisfaction began to circulate. Word of the insult to Ireland over in Wales began to fester, and Matholoc came under increasing pressure to put an embargo on all trade between the two island nations. The lords also began to turn on Branwen. The Welsh Queen of Ireland was forced to work in the kitchens, and every day the butcher would come to her with his meat tenderised hands and boxed her on the ear. Such was the cruel punishment of Branwen. For three years this went on, until eventually Branwen trained a starling to recognize the face of her brother Bendigade Vran. She tied a message to the bird's leg, informing the King of Wales of the torment and disrespect being forced upon his sister. When Bendigade Vran heard of his sister's suffering, with a heavy but resolute heart, he sent word to 154 districts of Wales. And, after council, ships and armies were mustered, and the Welsh set sail for Ireland and war. To be continued. <laughs> Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. My name is Stephanie Preisner and my podcast is called Basically and Basically, it makes complex things basic. Are you confused by health insurance? Are you confused by getting a mortgage? Are you confused about how to sort out your personal finances? Any of the things that confuse you, I can make basic for you. We've had guests like Luke O'Neill, Harry Barry, Mary Lou MacDonald, Roz Purcell, and on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin. 
it's hard for me to promote the podcast because it really is what you want me to explain. So tune in and I hope you like it. And that was the story of Branwen, the blow to Branwen, the first part of the second branch of the Mabinogion on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. This second branch, so again, the Mabinogion is about 11 or 12 tales. And there are the four branches, and then there are kind of a smattering of others. The four branches are the only ones that are able to be really collected in any concrete way, because Prederi, who we have had featured in the last episode, is the only character who features in all of them. He didn't feature in this part of the second branch, but he does feature in the second part. And so the as I said before, the three previous stories, which were Pulch, Prince of David, Rhiannon, and Prederi, they are all one, they all make up the one story, essentially, the the first branch of the Mab- the Mabinogi, which just happened to very nicely divide into three separate tales. The second branch wasn't as easily divided, but I eventually decided to split it into two. I found a very natural pause in the middle because I was, after adapting the first branch, I was thinking it was probably going to be about three episodes per branch of the Mabinogion. So I was doing twigs on branches and the limb and the bow and the bow and the hole and the hole down in the hole down in the, in the bog down in the valley. Oh, um, but in this, so in this first part, when the Welsh sailed for war, it seemed like a very natural pause and a nice little cliffhanger to leave it on. And there's a plenty story left uh, in which Branwen gets to come much more into her own, which I'm delighted about because she, considering she is the title of this story, or certainly it revolves around this, the marrying and mistreat, mistreatment of Branwen. She doesn't actually have a huge amount of agency in her own story apart from when she teaches this starling to recognize the face of her brother and take her away so she does come into her more into her own in the the latter part of the story but we'll talk about this this tale has very interesting characters in it first of all let's start from the beginning which is Bendigade Vran who is the king of Wales at this point so the more I research the more I get the impression that David so Polk Prince of David was the ruler of seven cantrefs that seemed to be like a much smaller kingdom, whereas like Bendigade Vran seems to be like the king of all of Wales, just like Matholoc is the king of all of Ireland at this point. And I get the impression that Matholoc is the king of Dublin specifically because this would have been about the Middle Ages and not long before or possibly around the same time of the Norman invasions. And there isn't any mention of any landmarks in Ireland. Because, first and foremost, you'll notice that even though they're Irish characters, they all still have Welsh names. Matholoc. I don't know many Irish Matholocs. But the one place in Ireland they do mention, which is very interesting, is the River Liffey. Again, this is not in this part of it, but that was the only detail that was very definitely Irish in it. But Bendigade Vran is described as this giant of such a colossal size that no home has been able to ever contain him, which both has echoes to the very first episode of Fireside with the idea of Fionn McCool and Ben and Donner as these colossal giants. But it gives him this incredible scale that's so hard to 
to compute in your mind, very much like Audumla, the the great cosmic cow, when you did the stories of Norse mythology, if anyone remember, there's something about size and particularly size in mythology, where you're just, where you're having characters described as mountains, and yet they're still having feasts and civilized conversations with very regular sized people. Certainly, this would be very hard to adapt into a visual media, I would imagine. I'm sure it has been in cartoon form. I don't know if there's ever been like a, a movie of the Mabinogion. Um, quite possibly. That's, that sh- I should know that before I, I say that statement. But I will look up now. But th- these are the kind of elements that you really need like the, the imagination for. These stories you need to tell and to leave the the conjuring up of these images to the mind of the listener. And that, of course, is right up my street now. So we have Bendigade Vran, uh, Manadawan, who is his brother by his father's side. So Clear is was this great Welsh king. Interestingly spelled L-L-Y-O-R, so not too far away from Lear. So again, another coincidental but still slight parallel between like Irish and Welsh mythology. Manadawan very much comes in. The the third branch of the Mabinogion is very much centered on, on Manadawan. So he's a, a character we're meeting now and doesn't really feature very strongly in this part, but he grows more and more. Then you have these two brothers, Nishian and Ethnician, on the mother's side, so not sons of Clear. And they act as as kind of this Benvolio, Malvolio kind of thing. I always want, wanted to imagine if Benvolio from Romeo and Juliet and Malvolio from the Twelfth Night were actually brothers and they were two sides of the same coin. Benvolio very benevolent and very good to Romeo and good to the Montagues and Malvolio just a little bit of a dickhead who I still adore because I played him in college. Still one of my favorite parts. But here we have Nishian and Ephnician. And Ephnician... He's great. I I love, and he's described in the stories as just just a ne'er do well. Like he kind of isn't justified in anything. Like it's not clear why he isn't told beforehand that uh, that Branwen is going to marry Matholoc, but then just stumbles upon these stables and the description of the mutilation of these horses, like cutting off their eyelids right down to the bone. It's absolutely awful. Uh, but just so incredible and so specific and just like a real, just a real bad dude, a really bad guy. And he gets to be our villain here from from here on out. And we don't really get as much from Nishian except that he just helps as opposed to just makes everything, everything worse. But if Nishian really certainly stands out as this very cloaked, you know, dark-haired Severus Snape just bad dude kind of figure and then of course we have Matholoc we have these four Welsh brothers staring out and then in comes the king of Ireland this Matholoc figure who evidently is totally an a Welsh invention doesn't seem from anything I have been able to find to be based on any specific Irish king I'd be interested if anything comes up again but I've, there's nothing I've been able to find about Matholoc being necessarily based on any specific Irish king. I suppose it's just the idea that you can see Wales from Ireland, so you can certainly see Ireland from Wales. 
So it makes sense that they would have have had much trade and so that they would have exchanged stories and they'd have had stories about being allies and stories about being enemies. And they're kind of frenemies in this story, which is what's particularly interesting and why I like. There's not really like, there's bad things done on both sides here with with Ethnician's treatment of Matholoc's horses and then with Branwen's treatment by by the Irish people when she gets actually home because obviously none of this is her fault and to be fair to Matholoc he seems to just let this happen and we get this mini tale we get this kind of Pixar short right in the middle there about the story of these two Welsh giants who oh good lord I, I really really gave gave the pronunciations of that a good try the the pronunciations are actually getting harder this had some hard out places uh, place and character names and I've tried where possible to streamline that as much as possible because there are a huge amount of place names in Welsh mentions that both I don't want to butcher and they do kind of the same happens in Irish mythology there can be an um, overabundance of place names which were usually to be used as mnemonic devices when these stories were being told orally but they can kind of clog the story a bit because to be honest when I first I had to listen to this branch of the Mabinogi on a good few times to really get a sense of it. I was getting confused between characters and just trying to get an actual sense and once I finally did I went oh I I have this now and I could see my version of it quite clearly and I'm quite happy with it but it, it took a little bit of streamlining there and I hope that at the cost of that it's still clear I try to focus it on specific characters and try and keep them being mentioned, that we just try to focus on Bendigade Vran and Matholoc and and on Branwen and on Ethnician specifically. But then we get these two giants, this cauldron, which can't can't help but remind me of the Dagda's cauldron, which you could eat from forever and you know, you would get full instantly, but you could it would never empty, you know. But here we have this cauldron also from Ireland, like seemingly also from the Tua de Danan or from the the magical side of Ireland that if if a soldier or if anyone has been killed today and you cook them in the cauldron the next day they'll be alive and well except that they can't speak it's so they're kind of reanimated it's almost zombie-esque and it's being guarded by these two great giants not to be confused with Bendigade Vran who just seems to be a very very large man the largest man there has ever been apparently but these two these two guardians of the cauldron they seem to be more like ogreish giants they're described as quite ugly and the woman is pregnant with a child who's going to be born a warrior I was imagining he's born like fully armed with his pelt already on him and Matholoc keeps them until again he comes under the pressure of Matholoc seems to be actually quite weak as a king or the Irish people in the story are savages because they're putting a huge amount of pressure on the poor guy to both extradite and kick out the giants and then later on to put a trade embargo between Ireland and Wales and make his wife work in the kitchens and in the best and worst detail in the story very similar to like the badger in the bag in the first branch and Rianon's treatment in the second story of the first branch. The butcher routinely would come to Branwen and box her in the ear. You're not forgetting a detail like that. That is just awful. <laughs> um, 
But again, these are these mnemonic devices that they're going to stay with you and really just hammer in the, the torment of this poor woman. And it, it becomes like this tiny little folktale for that moment of the stock character of the butcher specifically coming down into the kitchen every day. That's just part of his day to come down and box a poor woman. Jesus. <laughs> but with Matholoc, but Matholoc tasks his soldier or his, his lords who have forced him to uh, banish these two giants is like okay if you want me to get rid of them you are the ones who are going to have to get rid of them so they construct this enormous steel house of iron sorry of iron house and they kind of try to burn them alive inside it or like cook them inside it cutting off all the doors an incredible image again the the size is so hard to imagine and this is known as the Great Iron House of Ireland, and they were able to break out of it and escape into Wales. And it's a, it's a part that the story could almost do without. You know, it's nothing to do with the marriage between Matholoc and Branwen. But in, and in, and if anything, it doesn't actually give any usage of the cauldron. It is about these two seemingly inconsequential characters to the story. But I couldn't leave something like that out. It, it just reminded me too much of the climax of The Hobbit, you know, I'm picturing Smaug's cavern and just this idea of this burning, red-hot, white-hot iron house that's then shattered into a million pieces was not an element of the story I could leave out. But with that, I should wrap things up now. A lot there to unpack, and I hope, again, it was clear and it was still enjoyable because, again, this was a... This was a trickier one to adapt, but one that was really rewarding because of that. And I'm very excited to tell you the second part of it, because yes, we already, again, we're already in the second branch of the Mabinogion, and we're already at all-out war between Ireland and Wales. Bet you can't wait for that. Thank you so much to uh, Alan, Paddy, and, he- and Connor, and everyone over at Headstuff for continuing to support me. Thank you so much all for listening. Um, Again, apologies, this is a couple of days late. I'll get back to my routine now once I get back to Ireland. Um, apologies for offloading like I appreciate uh, it's been a great pleasure to actually get back to recording and uh, and do what I love uh, because it has like I said it's been a tough couple of months but we're over the worst of it now and now that it's done I can move on and decide what I'm going to do next now and look forward to getting back to Ireland and getting back to my life and with that, folks, next week we have the second part of the second branch of the Mabinogion. As I said, the all-out war between war between Ireland and Wales. I will see you all. You'll hear me all. Please do follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com or support over Headstuff Plus over at headstuffpodcast.com as little as five euro a month. Pay more if you want. Gain access to bonus episodes for fireside and everything else brand new episode on the mythology of yeats's poetry that i really was really very happy with um i hope all of you that are, are already supporters you've checked that out and you've enjoyed it i'll see you all you'll hear me all next time and remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside this show is part of the headstuff podcast network a hub for the creative and the curious Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.